Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Construction Revolution. The title of this episode is Industry Insights, What Lies Beyond COVID-19. This week I'm talking to Richard Threlfall, Global Head of Infrastructure at KPMG, advising on policy, governance and finance. Richard is also a World Economic Forum Council member on the Global Future Council for Infrastructure. The World Economic Forum gathers in Davos in Switzerland every year. And when I originally reached out to Richard to record this podcast, I wanted to find out about Davos, what had been discussed and how that is being filtered into businesses representing the built environment. Then the world changed with the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, we use a phrase that's been used before, never waste a good crisis. We talk about how we are embracing digital technology more effectively and efficiently, and how important our work is, and how the public doesn't necessarily fully understand the importance of the work that we do to build their built environment. We also talk about sustainability, which is what everyone was talking about at DevOps, and how climate change is a crisis that will not go away. Uh, I saw a lovely graphic on social media that a colleague sent me last week that shows sort of COVID-19 shark uh, and behind it is a much bigger economic recession shark and behind that is an absolutely enormous climate change shark and that's the, that's the truth of the matter. Welcome to the Construction Revolution, the podcast that's leading the charge for change in the construction industry. I'm Maria Coulter, the construction coach and I'm on a mission to bring positive lasting change. During this podcast series, I'm going to be talking to pioneers from within our industry who are doing things differently to solve these issues. I'm also going to be bringing you fresh ideas and perspectives from outside of the industry to inspire and guide you in bringing about some much needed change. As Henry Ford said, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. It's time for a revolution. Are you ready to join me? So I'd like to welcome Richard Threlfall, who is the Global Head of Infrastructure at KPMG, to the Construction Revolution. Thank you for taking time out to speak to me today. It's a pleasure. Hi, Maria. So you are the Global Head of Infrastructure at KPMG and you advise on policy, governance and finance. And you're also a World Economic Forum Council member as well on the Global Future Council for Infrastructure. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what your role is at KPMG and about KPMG as well? Of course, Maria. So KPMG is a global uh, professional services company, which means basically we advise both corporate clients and government clients all over the world in pretty much every country that you could think of on everything from audit to tax to general advisory and accounting services and within KPMG there is a group that I lead uh, which numbers almost 3,000 colleagues uh, based across about 110 countries who in some shape or form are involved in infrastructure. What does that mean? It means we have colleagues who advise um, on the strategy both of governments and cities and businesses uh, about uh, their role in the infrastructure sector it means that we advise on major projects. We help companies who are bidding to take on public-private partnerships contracts, for example, or we advise governments who are looking, for example, we're advising currently on the California High-Speed Rail project, for example. Uh, we advise uh, on projects which are in development to try and help them get built on time and on budget. 
Uh, and increasingly, we're doing an awful lot of work in the asset management space, working for major utilities, uh, national highways companies, national railway companies, uh, where they are trying to optimise the way in which those assets are maintained. And finally, we're involved in, in the buying and selling of major businesses that sit within the infrastructure sector. So it's a broad sweep of activity. And we have colleagues who come from all sorts of backgrounds. Some of them are engineers. Some of them come from finance backgrounds. Some of them come from public service backgrounds like myself. And we are just there to support all of our clients who operate within this sector. And what impact does your work have on your clients? So how does that sort of help them? So this is, this, this is a subject that's really close to my heart, Ria, um, not just for the role that KPMG and my colleagues play in it, but for the industry as itself, recognising that anyone who works within the construction or the infrastructure sector, this basically is the foundation of civilization. It's schools, it's hospitals, it's roads, it's railways, it's ports, it's the wind turbines and the power stations that provide the energy that keep the lights on. It's all of these things. And we're seeing this very much today in the middle of this, this global pandemic, which is causing so much disruption and, and, and difficulty for people all over the world. At the heart of it, there are national energy networks that need to keep running and need construction workers to maintain them. At the heart of it, there are, there are hospitals that need to be maintained so they can operate to look after the sick and so on. This is an industry that sits right at the heart of that and colleagues in KPMG are part of that story too. Indeed, we have a, a large number of colleagues uh, who sit within our infrastructure business who've been involved over the last couple of weeks in terms of the project management um, that is getting up and running the Nightingale hospitals within the UK. That's been an amazing example of how when you know when industry pulls together like how quickly something like that can get done isn't it? Sure and it just shows that you need you need a huge array of skills in this space you know I'm, I'm not personally an engineer but I'm really proud to work amongst um, organizations that have a strong engineering base and a strong construction base. Myself and colleagues bring a different set of skill sets into that industry to try to help people get done the things that they're doing, as you say, for, for an impact in society generally. And tell me about your role with the World Economic Forum. How did that all come about and, and what work have you been doing there? I've sat for the last two years on the World Economic Forum's future Council on Infrastructure. It is a very diverse group of individuals drawn from all over the world, from all sorts of organisations. And the World Economic Forum, for those that don't know it, is, is essentially a forum that just brings together conversations from individuals all over the world to try to face into and solve some of the biggest challenges that the world is facing. And actually, one of my reflections uh, from being at Davos this year is that whilst sometimes it gets a bit of a bad press, you know, there's these stories about, you know, lots of, uh, lots of people just descending on, on Davos to, to have a conversation. Well, actually, the world needs those sorts of forums. It needs those sorts of conversations. One of the things the world's suffering from at the moment in the middle of this pandemic is there isn't enough international coordination. At a political level, we are not seeing governments working together to solve what is going on. Um, and the World Economic Forum essentially sits in that space as a voluntary organisation, bringing together both companies and government individuals to try to deal with some of these questions. And within the world of the Infrastructure Council specifically, last year, 
we were looking at two of what we consider to be the biggest issues uh, facing the infrastructure sector today. One was the way in which we support more uh, finance going into emerging market infrastructure, which is so critical in order to uh, develop the economies in emerging markets, reduce poverty, give them the healthcare and school systems and so on. And secondly, we were looking at the emerging role of technology within this industry and how could we accelerate the uh, take up of the adoption of technology across all aspects of the infrastructure life cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting now is what we're experiencing. People are having to embrace technology like never before. People who've never heard of communication tools that we're using to work online all of a sudden having to sort of you know change what they're doing and and adopt technology very quickly I think we're finding it's I mean it's it's fascinating really because I would argue that infrastructure and construction as industries are are really the last industries to reach that technological revolution and actually it's really exciting because we can see that we could drive huge efficiencies in the way that the construction industry works globally uh, by, for example, greater use of robotics, greater use of off-site construction. And it's not just efficiencies, of course, it's also greater uh, health and safety within the industry and the way it operates. And equally, we can see that the end state of many infrastructure sectors can be revolutionized. So in particular, one of the world's big opportunities is to really decarbonize by moving entirely to renewable sources of energy. So that's obviously all around solar and wind power and wave power and the engineering technologies that move those from being a a small proportion of the world's total energy uh, generation today to being eventually all of it. And then in the transport sector, we can see how the electrification and the automation of particularly passenger vehicles completely revolutionizes that industry both bringing benefits in terms of decarbonisation, but also huge benefits in terms of the way that people can live and travel and the ability for uh, individuals who today may find it very difficult, for example, to travel, to be able to to do so in the future. And what sort of conversations were being had, you know, over in Davos? I know this was in, um, in February this year. So what were the sort of main points that were coming out of the the discussions the thing i've noticed really strongly if i compare the conversation this year at davos with the one the year before was the way that sustainability had suddenly become mainstream in all the conversations it was it was so stark we've seen it as kpmg as well in our conversations with clients if you go back a year ago or 18 months ago and you went into you know any big corporate client and said, you know, I'm very interested to talk about the role of your business in sustainability. With a few exceptions, you would be directed to the department that dealt with sustainability, to the sustainability director. Now, that is not the case. Uh, It's a board level chief exec chair, you know, top of top of agenda topic. Um, And that meant in the context of Davos, every single conversation was about sustainability. And every single topic was about how do we move faster to deal with all the challenges that face the world, courtesy of climate change, and in particular, how do we decarbonize the planet as quickly as possible? I guess I'd like to draw out one conversation in particular that I was involved in in Davos, which I think is particularly important, which is how do we measure objectively 
the so-called ESG, the environmental and the social and the governance impact of businesses in terms of what they do. Suddenly, nearly all companies have said ESG is very important. But there's a huge difference between saying something's important and actually being able to show objectively that whenever you do something, you are taking into account that ESG impact and that you as a business are doing everything that you can, for example, to reduce the carbon footprint that you have as a business. Now, because there's been such a focus on this area over the last few years, we have lots of different standards that are starting to be produced. But in a sense, that's also becoming a problem because anyone can then just pick and choose the standard that they like. And there isn't really any objective view out there at the moment about which standards are the most robust and which ones are the most applicable in different circumstances. So uh, actually on the very first day that I was in Davos, uh, I was on a panel which was organized by the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, uh, and Guggenheim Partners, uh, which was around a piece of work that they are doing, which is looking at the application of different standards to different types of infrastructure projects in order just to provide some information about which of those standards actually um, give us the most insight uh, that's really valuable in terms of how those projects uh, have been managed from a, an environmental, social and governance point of view. And, and my personal view is um, that this is the start of a conversation that eventually leads us to a place where you would expect as much rigor to be applied to businesses application of ESG as today you have for their accounting standards. And in the same way that it took the, year, the world about 40 years to end up with an acceptance that there was an international standard for accounting, the, the IFRS standard, and that nearly all countries would adopt it and nearly all companies would adopt it uh, and therefore we as KPMG as an accounting uh, business we audit against an IFRS standard in nearly all cases so in the future one would expect there to be a similarly verifiable and auditable standard for the way in which companies are applying environmental social and governance within their businesses. You know looking at the the environmental and social and governance sort of impact, what sort of things would they be measuring from a business perspective? Well, so it means um, embedding right at the heart of a business decision, not just the how much money do we make from it question, but putting alongside that with as much weight as that financial question, the questions of, so, okay, what effect is this work going to have in terms of its environmental impact which could be positive or negative so you could be investing in a in a solar farm for example and obviously there's a positive environmental impact from that but equally it could be a project that has some environmental disbenefit um, and that's not necessarily in terms of, of climate change effects it could be because of uh, the use of plastics within it for example and therefore the risk of pollution uh, in the oceans. Um, so it's about measuring those aspects on the environmental side. On the social side, it's about, well, what does it mean for workforce? What does it mean for the um, inequality within our society? What does it mean for the lowest paid and the protections that they have? If we are building infrastructure, are we doing so in a way that is conscious of how it affects women within society, for example? What are the gender effects of what we are doing? And from a governance point of view, are we doing this to the highest standards 
of governance? Are we absolutely sure that the way that this is being done uh, is entirely transparent, um, that there is not money being uh, taken where it shouldn't be within the supply chain? And are we really comfortable with we've set this up in the, in the way that is as close as possible to whatever would be regarded as best practice? That's the standard that we're looking for in the world. And, and I, it, it, is, it is, you know, I think for businesses to go from just saying this stuff's important to actually embedding it in the way they work, that's going to be quite challenging because it does mean some hard conversations about what really matters. Um, and, and in the past, it used to be sometimes explicitly and sometimes implicitly accepted uh, that if you made money, then good stuff could flow from the fact you had made money. And I think nowadays there's an acceptance that that's not necessarily true. And we could all get wealthier whilst at the same time we could kill the planet and we could kill the planet's future for our children. And therefore that's not good enough anymore. And we actually have to measure the impacts that we have beyond financial return and financial loss in order to be sure that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, because I think more and more people are, you know, they're wanting to work for organisations that have got that sense of, purpose but they're also looking at the the bigger picture that they're looking about you know looking at the the impact that they're having on the environment on the communities etc but um with regards to embedding that into an organization i mean obviously we don't want to wait years for for standards to come out i mean what what is the guidance what can people do right now to start to look at how to embed that into their organization we're already seeing leaders in industry leading organizations in industry devoting huge amounts of effort to trying to really adopt esg within the way they operate and there are standards that are out there by the world bank for example that one can pick up and use i'm not going to name businesses here because it'd be unfair to pick particular ones out but but you will know that there have been certain businesses that have been particularly vocal in the in the media and with their shareholders saying that there are things that we now need to do in order to move into a place where we actually are showing that we are really focused on the impact that we're having as organizations and I want to pick up a point that you made a moment ago Maria which I thought was really important which is around what this means in terms of the workforces. And, and let's bring this back to, to, to infrastructure and construction specifically now. You know, I said at the beginning that this is, this is an industry where uh, it's, it, everything it does in some shape or form is fundamental to how society operates. And we should be really proud of that. The conversations that we are having, children at school with our own children, with those who are going on to university, whether it's to study engineering or some other topic that's related to this industry, they want to know, not just that they are going into or they could go into an industry that is so fundamental in terms of the products that it produces and the services that it gives, but also that it's an industry that is operating to the highest standards of environmental, social and governance consideration. And, and I think for the, for the younger generations, we're seeing it particularly that that is, that is really, really important to the decisions they make about the, the organizations and the industries they go into. And so we need to be clear that construction as an industry is talking about the future and is talking about its role in terms of driving the highest standards in terms of its own impact in society. 
And that then give, brings us on to topics that are specific to this industry, like how do we reduce the reliance on extraction? How do we reduce the reliance on, on cement and, and, and steel within this industry? How do we take plastic out of this industry? These are the sorts of topics where the industry, in a sense, is crying out, I think, for uh, certain businesses to step forward and really be champions of those conversations. I mean, what do you think changed in the last 12 months to like really sort of bring this to the forefront at Davos and, and make it the topic of conversation that everybody wants to have? So that's a, that's a really good question. Why, why, was, why was there that sudden realisation? Because, of course, clearly many people have been talking about this for decades and wondering why the world is taking no notice. I think a number of things have, have come together clearly the public perception has been raised massively by you know the the climate extinction rebellions for example it has become a societal conversation not just one that is confined to universities and and, and, and academics and i think that's been that's been really important i think in turn businesses have started to realize that to be on the wrong side of this debate is actually quite a risky thing to do now, I'd like to say that all business leaders are doing it because they feel passionately that it is the right thing to do, to be trying to do what they can to, to save the planet. But I equally think in many cases, businesses have just been driven by a desire to maintain their public relation image and, and not to be at risk of being called out on the front pages of the newspapers for having done something which so egregiously is seen to harm the planet. And therefore, they have to therefore go overboard to try to be seen to be doing the right thing. And I think that's just all coalesced together. How can we keep focusing on that subject now? Because obviously, you know, you, you came back from, from Davos, all the different company representatives and country representatives came back. And then now we're, we're now in the, the midst of this, um, this global pandemic. So how... How do you think that's starting to impact on these conversations and how do you think it will impact on that in the future? So I am a bit worried at a couple of levels. One is because clearly all of the short-term focus has gone to, uh, to fighting COVID-19. It's inevitable, therefore, that some of the bandwidth of both senior political and business leaders and, and indeed everybody in the world is, is just, you know, everyone's absorbed with the immediate challenge and you know, COP26 will be delayed and a lot of other big events that would have brought attention to climate change uh, are going to be delayed. And I'm also worried in the sense because I think we have seen that the struggle to create a global response to COVID-19 is again an indicator of the difficulties that we are going to have creating a global response to climate change. If it wasn't already evident from the fact that so many of the commitments that have been made previously by countries to certain climate targets have not been then actually delivered. So those are reasons to be, to be a bit nervous. However, there are also reasons to be positive. One is that what no amounts of targets was able to do for, for many years, a global pandemic has delivered in terms of, for example, taking cars off our streets. I was speaking to a colleague in India a week ago and uh, from his confinement at home, he was saying, I can see the skies over Delhi, which are normally so polluted because of, of all of the smog from all of the traffic. 
so we're at, we've actually in the middle of a massive unintentional experiment about what does it mean when we massively cut the amount of air travel and we massively cut the amount of vehicles that are polluting our streets. Uh, and, I, and, and I'm sort of hopeful that individuals having gone through this period of, in a sense, having to be closer to home, closer to family and closer to nature, will actually come away from that thinking, well, there's something quite powerful about some of this. There's something quite powerful about the way the world's been able to operate remotely, relying on digital connectivity much more than previously. It relied on people getting into to planes and cars. And maybe we'll better extract some, some really good learning from that and say, well, that's, that tells us something about the way we want to live in the future. And therefore, therefore, out of this crisis, we will actually draw something really powerful and something good. Absolutely. I mean, you, you can see the, the stats and everything of, of the impact that this is having, the positive impact that this is having on, on the planet at the moment. I mean, I know that you wrote a piece in Building Magazine recently when you came back from Davos and before we were in the midst of um, the COVID-19 pandemic. And you said that construction cannot tackle the climate emergency unless we focus on strengthening our industry. And you also talk about the importance of strengthening the, the supply chain in construction as well, which is obviously predominantly made up of SMEs and micro businesses. Like, this is a big question, I know, but how do you think we can get through this and maintain some strength? Because we're seeing a lot of people reacting to what's happening, you know, people being furloughed, we're seeing people being made redundant, there's talk about a recession. I mean, I'm a positive person, but I'm also a practical person as well. You know, how can we maintain some strength rather than going back into behaviours, like, you know, the standard boom and bust behaviours that come out to play whenever we're either in good times or in a recession, we've got these standard behaviours that we roll out. How can we do things differently this time to, to keep moving forwards? I mean, it's clearly a hugely tough time in this industry. It's an industry that uh, relies very, very heavily on uh, self-employed labour. Uh, and as you say, therefore, it's one of the industries that's being hit particularly hard by everything that's happening. Uh, and the picture obviously varies country by country, but it's been encouraging in the UK to see over the last week the way that uh, a combination of industry leadership bodies have come together in order to create very, very quickly social distancing rules for the industry in order to try to get sites back to work because fundamentally what what this industry needs to be is back at work doing the work it needs which lies at the heart of this this and and for any other society it's it's effective functioning and all the essential services that ride off the back of it so that's the short term piece um, i think to your question looking to the longer term we need to ensure that to use a phrase that's been used before in this industry we don't waste a good crisis there are some deep learnings that will come out of this to do with the role of technology particularly digital technology in this industry and how effective that can be and and i'm just hoping that the industry does learn from that and even though the industry may come back a bit smaller and a bit more consolidated and maybe the supply chains particularly the global supply chains are going to be a bit weaker for a while because of everything that's happened. Nonetheless, I'm hoping that what we will draw out of it is really 
positive lessons for how this industry can work way, way more effectively and efficiently, not just for the clients of the industry, but also for its own workforce, for the individuals at the end of the day who are actually delivering the services that drive the infrastructure industry, i.e. the construction workforce. And I'm hoping that we come out of this, therefore, with, with an industry that may be bruised, but historically has always been very, very resilient. And hopefully it comes through actually stronger for everything that uh, it has had to weather over however many months it now proves to be. Yeah, and it's interesting what you say about the keep construction working and the importance of that, because I think there was a lot of confusion when we first went into lockdown about whether construction sites should still be continue to work and I know it it took a few days to get the um, the communications out and the new regulations which people have got now but I think there's still that kind of argument and I know that people who are still working in construction some of them are getting they're getting criticism and flack for actually keeping going to work because I think people need to feel a sense of purpose in this crisis and the message that was starting to come out was well if you can't work from home then you obviously need to to go to work but if you're then putting yourself in danger by going to work you know you need that sense of purpose like people on the front line doing work for the NHS and key workers have got that sense of purpose but is the statement to keep the economy going enough of a sense of purpose to actually risk your health well, and, and clearly not, because health and safety has always come first in this industry and will always continue to do so, which is why I think the the leadership that was shown in, here in the UK by Build UK and the Construction Leadership Council to get those safe distancing site procedures out there so quickly has been so absolutely critical, uh, because that's the first step. And then you need to decide, the industry needs to decide clearly on a site-by-site basis whether it's possible or not to be able to operate within those procedures safely for the benefit of all staff. And then if they can, then that means that that important part of, of the industry can, can go back to work. So no, it's not enough for it to be just for the economy, but if we can do it safely, then it's a hugely important part of the contribution that this industry has to keeping the country running, even in the midst of some period as difficult as that that we're seeing today yeah and I think it's important for construction to really get that message out there as well because you know last week I interviewed Kubi Springer and we talked about the importance of brand and how brand isn't an emotional connection to your to your stakeholders to your clients and I think it's really important to get some positive communications out to the country you know, about the importance of construction in the built environment and how it is important for us to to keep going in the midst of lockdown. You know, I think that's definitely something that um, companies could take into consideration about how, how they're being perceived from a brand perspective. And it comes back to your, your point around the, the, not just the, the impact that this industry has, but the way that that impact is communicated and perceived in society at large. Uh, So as you say, one of the challenges of the last week has been a public perception that just sees construction workers as just another industry and doesn't have the association in their minds that says, well, it's a construction industry that means that the hospitals are continuing to function. It's a construction industry that means the power networks are continuing to function 
which continue to power all the networks that allow us to continue to operate from home and of course keep the lights on and all of the machinery working in the hospital that are keeping people alive and it, it's where's that story really being carried out into society generally uh, and I think the more that the industry can do collectively through industry groups to continually to make the case for the critical role that construction infrastructure has at the heart of our society that I think is a hugely important thing for us all to be doing. Absolutely and I think one thing that's really occurred to me is that this is really highlighting what we've known for a long time which is a lot of people in the world don't 100% understand what we do and the importance no. of it you know because like we know that we've got an image problem and we've had an image problem for a long time but this is actually coming back now as well in these times because if we haven't got a positive image if we're not seen as like a critical part of um of the economy and of the built environment and people don't acknowledge the amazing spaces that we create and the infrastructure that we create for people to like live in to work in to be in like because because people don't see the importance of that work then they're not seeing the importance of that work continuing right now. I completely agree. And it's why I, I always try and articulate what all of us that do within this industry do in terms of that overall impact. Um, and the way I tend to frame it within KPMG is we connect the world, we reduce poverty, we create prosperity, we drive sustainable quality of life, and we fundamentally are in the business of creating a better future for everyone everywhere and that's what this industry is all about and i think that's uh, we should you know i think everyone that works within this industry should should i was going to say go home every day but of course many of them are probably working from home but everybody at the end of their working day i think should be really proud that they work for this industry because it is so fundamental in our societies but i think we really need that cohesiveness right now because i feel like there is a divide between the boots on the ground who are actually working on the sites and they're trying to continue and the people who are working from home saying well have you done this have you done that and they're sitting you know they're sitting safely you know there definitely needs to be some some cohesion you know to try and sort of you know bring that sense of purpose together and you know so that people feel safe well I guess willing to to put themselves out there and to continue i guess and that's i think a lot of that comes down to to just really good leadership and management within our organizations and you know i think all organizations have had to move very quickly to uh, a much greater degree of of remote and digital working than they ever have before and and actually i've been really encouraged one of the things i've noticed over the last couple of weeks is that we've moved away from a world in which conversations would just immediately start and launch straight in to a world in which nearly everybody takes the time at the beginning to to check on the the health and and how you know uh, individuals uh, that they are working with how how they're coping with you know potentially not being able to get out because they're in isolation or, or because they're looking after young children at the same time as trying to to manage the job they're doing and maybe it's just my, my perception, but I think we've, we've suddenly become a much more sensitive society uh, to the fact that we are dealing with, 
with uh, individuals who have lots of responsibilities outside of, of their work. And I would hope that good leadership and management by all of the businesses that work in this sector would allow that to become by all of the businesses that work in this sector would allow that to become uh, to, for that sense of belonging within that community to be brought home to all of those who are working on the sites during this difficult period. Yeah, definitely. So we need like the leaders to sort of to come in and, and, and make everybody feel that they're all sort of playing their own part in, in whatever way, basically, Absolutely. To, to join people because together. Because that's what good leadership is about. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things that occurred to me sort of through this conversation, and, and, and it's something I've been talking to my clients about, is about sustainability. And before um, this happened, I'd been having conversations with my clients as to how they can emotionally connect to their their clients around sustainability. Because, you know, you've got a lot of SMEs and micro businesses in the industry. Thinking about the domestic market, you know, there's, there's always this perception that the client wants to go for the lowest price. And that's what it's all about. And, and I've been talking to my clients about how they can start to get messages across around cost and sustainability and the impact on the environment and how, yes, you could go for that person who's a lot cheaper, but you know, this is my sustainability sort of message. This, this is the documents that I use. This is how I'm running a sustainable business. You know, these are the guidelines I'm following. Like I honestly think that there's an opportunity for small businesses to really connect emotionally with clients and think well what you're building the materials that go into your homes and in your offices or whatever impacts on the environment and you know it's not all about cost and, and this could potentially be a differentiator between them and, and, and other companies yes no I, I i i agree this is a critical point Maria. over the last year we've seen a phenomenal shift in attitudes um, and I think sometimes people struggle to realise quite how fast those attitudes have changed. So whereas in the past, I think, you know, a supplier within uh, this industry might have been nervous even to, to raise the idea that there might be some product which would be much more environmentally sustainable, but was going to be more expensive because they would think that there'd be no chance of them getting a positive audience. I would say test that conversation now because you might well be pleasantly surprised because everybody is so much more attuned to this issue than they were before and secondly I think your your point highlights very neatly that a huge responsibility lies with the clients in this industry um, it was a point that uh, we made very uh, strongly through the the UK's so-called project 13 initiative which I was involved in being driven by the Institution of Civil Engineers, which of course was all around how do we create a much stronger industry uh, in infrastructure and construction, and how do we create a much stronger industry by focusing on the long-term uh, impacts of this industry and moving away in particular from a focus on short-term cost minimization to a focus on the long-term value for money. And it's a very, very short step from talking about long-term value for money to then wrapping up within that 
the long-term overall impact of the infrastructure investors investments that we're making but fundamentally uh, what project 13 showed is that it is for the clients in this industry to set the agenda at the end of the day they are in the market setting the procurement rules determining the basis on which those procurements are won or lost if they continue to go in the market and just say all that matters is you give me the cheapest price today because i'm not mature enough as a as a client to be thinking about the long-term costs and benefits of this piece of infrastructure then it's very very difficult for the construction supply chain to respond to that because at the end of the day they are they're effectively price takers in that market uh, but the encouraging thing is that we are seeing big businesses big uh, infrastructure owners uh, both within the uk and globally who are now starting to understand that it's in their interests uh, as clients of this industry to be buying on the basis of long-term value for money and long-term environmentally sustainable impact and that trend is only going to continue to strengthen and strengthen i am quite sure over the next few years and therefore the opportunity for anybody in the supply chain of this industry is just make sure that they are in a position to benefit from a market that is moving in that direction and how do we make sure that clients continue to move in that direction even if we're faced with a recession i think in some ways the recession is only going to accelerate these effects and, and i know that's a strange thing to say but the recession creates a dislocation it creates a need to completely rethink the way that we do business we're having that conversation as KPMG. I'm sure every business is having that conversation at the moment. And, and that dislocation is the opportunity to do things radically different. And therefore, at the end of the day, the, the, the climate change challenge isn't going away. Uh, I saw a lovely graphic on social media that a colleague sent me last week that shows sort of COVID-19 shark. Uh, and behind it is a much bigger economic recession shark. And behind that is an absolutely enormous climate change shock. And that's the, that's the truth of the matter, that the scale, the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge we face today in the world is not COVID-19 and it's not the recession that will follow from it. It's climate change and it's whether we have a long run sustainable planet to bequeath to our children and our grandchildren over the course of the next 20 and 30 years. And, and I think that realization is quite well embedded now in societal understanding and notwithstanding the fact that we're going into a recession, perhaps there are some things that are happening at the moment that will remind everybody that money isn't everything. Yeah, I mean, it's so true about, um, you know, the, the, the scale and how we've got to maintain that focus on sustainability and saving the planet, but also, I think there's an opportunity for for businesses to to build more purposeful businesses that engage their people that they're really clear about what their values are and they're actually thinking about the impact on the planet you know there is there is a great opportunity for these businesses to really emerge and they're the the type of people who will those types of businesses the statistics are there like you know, businesses that have got more diversity and inclusion, that have got more gender equality, that, you know, all of those aspects are proven to be more profitable 
So those are the type of businesses that need to be built coming out of this crisis into through a recession and and beyond they're the ones that are going to take us to the future that we really want aren't they absolutely and it's and it's a really important message that at the end of the day for you know for infrastructure owners nobody's asking them for altruism they're asking them to act in their own best interests as businesses but it's their long-term interest and the question is are you a business that you know intends and wishes to be around as a successful business 10 years from now and 20 years from now or is your horizon only the next year and a half and if you've got a genuinely long-term view then by operating to the highest standards environmental social and governance impact that is your best way today of making sure that you are a business that you and society as a whole and all those who work with you will be proud of in 20 years time and i think that's a good place to to end you know the, the conversation really because you know, I've, I want people to be thinking beyond. I want people to be thinking about their bigger picture and the part that they can play, you know, when we sort of get through the next few months. So thank you so much for your insights and for, for sharing your knowledge and experience. I think there's been a lot of um, a lot of food for thought for people to think about um, moving forward through the next few months. So thank you so much for that. Oh, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure, Maria. I think, you know, one of the strange advantages of the next couple of months is that, you know, working from home for, for those that are actually creates more space to just think a bit and to reflect on, you know, how the world could be different, hopefully in a really positive sort of way. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and it's given you some food for thought about the importance of focusing on sustainability and how this will be a differentiator in the future as we emerge from COVID-19 and the economic fallout. When Richard described to me the shark photograph of COVID-19, followed by the economic fallout, followed by climate change, it really refocused my attention onto the bigger picture. We will get through this, but now more than ever, we need to be focusing on building sustainable businesses to attract the next generation and set us apart from the competition as well. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Rob Moore, co-founder of Progressive Property, multi-million pound property investor and author of Money, No More, Make More, Give More. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, rate and subscribe to help others to find it too. See you next time.